acorns are jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, furry as a mouse, it's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 170, Bound to Happen. Sunday, June 4th, 2017. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yin Hu podcast has a Facebook page, and it's available on iTunes. Each week I post show notes, links to the things I talk about, and photographs on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Today's episode features the following segments. The back porch, the front porch, ever expanding skill set, and gratitude journal. Hello, everyone, and welcome. A special good morning to those of you who listen to the Yarns at Yin Hu podcast on your Monday morning commute. I know that's a tradition among some listeners. It's been a busy two weeks since the last episode, and there have been quite a few events and interesting things happen having to do with craft and the fiber arts. Just uh, as a way of kicking off the Memorial Day weekend, I took a macrame class at a local winery. It was bound to happen that I would explore macrame. I think it's slowly coming into vogue again. My memories of macrame include remembering my mother having a lot of materials for macrame. I don't remember her working on anything or anything specific that she made. But I do remember having the supplies around and knowing what macrame was when I was very, very young. We had a great class at the winery, and there's a new back room at this local establishment that is being used for some classes and experiences. And within two hours, including cider... I was able to create a wall hanging with beads and feathers and learn three of the basic tying methods of macrame. It's similar to knitting in that by learning just a few knots or just a few stitches, you can create an almost endless array of finished products. And the skills are quite easy to teach. Uh, but I could see just really quite a wide array of possibilities within them. We stuck to wall hanging. We didn't make a plant holder or anything that would require a certain kind of support for a weighted object, but I could see how some of those knots could be employed in different ways to create something like that. It was a lot of fun, And my wall hanging is currently outside on the side of our house. And it's interesting to watch how it ages and weathers a little bit. At the end of the class, we were encouraged to unply the clothesline type cording that we were using and create a finer looking fringe. And over the course of the past very rainy, very humid week, those fine strands have sort of turned themselves back into three thick ropes. 
just without any interference, they've just kind of gravitated back to their original form. Since the macrame class, I've been of two minds. On the one hand, I've been thinking, why, oh why, did I add yet another interest to compete with all of the other things that I want to do? But on the other hand, I think engaging in a new process can help you think about your current projects in different ways, especially in terms of putting beads onto the macrame, thinking about balance and asymmetry. It was kind of a new way to think about some of the same things I've been turning over in my mind with my current projects. I was invited to teach a spindling class at this winery. It's a raw urban winery. Raw stands for Rowan Asher Winery in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. And I will be offering a class on spindling on June 21st. It's a Wednesday. And there are tickets available. I will post a link if any local listeners might be interested. And if there's anyone in your life who's interested in learning spinning, that could be a good way to learn. We will work with suspended spindles, top whirl drop spindles, and we will try a variety of different fiber preps for spinning. And I'll also give some instruction on how to ply and how to soak and just prep your finished yarn uh, so that you can use it. So that's Raw Urban Winery on June 21st. We'll see how it goes, if there are any takers um, and if it's popular or if there's interest, maybe I will offer a class there again at another time. Later in the weekend on Monday, Memorial Day, I met listener Kathleen, who is Craft Buzz on Ravelry. She and her husband were taking classes at Peters Valley, which is not too far from my home, and she had been in contact with me that maybe we could get together. So we met at kind of a central location. It was pouring down rain all morning long. We had hoped for a walk or some other outdoor activity, but we just settled for coffee and omelet instead and had a really lovely chat. Kathleen was taking a class on six different methods of fiber crafts or different techniques that you could use. And she brought show and tell of some of the things that she had been doing. And it was just fascinating, lots and lots of ideas. And she also uh, was so kind to give me a DIY project bag. Kathleen has recently opened a shop online where she's going to be selling some goods for knitters. And this bag is so cute because it's printed with some sheep, sort of like the adult coloring book, kind of mosaic graphic, but it's printed on a muslin project bag and you can get colored fabric markers and color them in. Or you could combine a variety of different fiber techniques to color them in. You could use some pencils or markers. You could do some embroidery. You could do some needle felting. Uh, The designs of these sheep just kind of beg for your own individual thumbprint. So Kathleen gave me a bag and she also contributed a bag to the Summer Top Make-Along. So that will be one of the prizes on offer on the first day of summer when this make-along draws to a conclusion. There is still really great activity, folks posting their projects and cheering one another on. Several people have been able to make more than one thing during this make-along, and I will fill you in on my progress a little bit later in the episode. 
the back porch. I've completed a few projects since the last episode. The first is Tsumu Tsukazi. It's a knitted top designed by Michio. And the title of the top, the name, translates from the Japanese as Whirlwind. It's knit from the neck opening down. There are increases incorporated into a little bit of a lace detail on the shoulder. Then you knit the sleeve portion front and back separate. It kind of has a poncho kind of look to it. I'm not sure what the term is for this type of garment in commercial design, but it's a pretty popular shape for a top, a very relaxed fit. Then the front and back are joined again underneath the arms and it's knit in the round for the body of the sweater. And some short rows are incorporated into the body so that it's asymmetrical and there is this appearance of the fabric swirling around the waist. It's very flattering, loose fitting. To me, it's kind of the perfect summer garment. I knit mine from Ella Ray Lace Merino. I used US size 4 and 5 needles, a little bit smaller than the design calls for. And I really like my completed top. So much that I would like to knit it again. I would like to start immediately, but I want to finish another project first. And I will be using my Samite yarn to knit the next version of this top. It isn't perfect. Because I went down a needle size, I really could have used a bit more yarn for this project. And I wasn't able to complete the body of the sweater as written. I had to sort of fudge uh, the repeats a little bit so that I had enough yarn to complete the ribbing at the bottom and a bind off. I did use a tubular cast on for the rib at the neckline, but at the bottom I didn't have very much extra yarn at all. And so I just used the method of binding off in pattern in the one by one rib. Another thing that I should have paid more attention to with the sweater was I should have alternated skeins. It's a highly variegated yarn that I used. The skeins looked incredibly similar. It didn't seem to me like there would be any problem at all in detecting where one skein ended and another began, but it's visible. Uh, you could A knitter could definitely tell. I don't know if a non-knitter would be aware of the difference in patterning from the top of the sweater to the bottom. Actually, I don't even think a non-knitter would necessarily suspect this was a handmade garment because it so closely mimics some of the commercial styles. I was hoping that I would be able to wear this top without any kind of tank underneath, just with a regular bra, but the arm openings are large enough so that particular on one side of the garment since it's asymmetrical. The look isn't exactly the same on both sides. On one side of the garment, you can see directly into inside the body of the sweater. So it does require a tank top. Nevertheless, I really like the fit of this. This is so far the easiest to wear knitted garment that I've made. I feel like I can treat it like I treat commercially made clothing in terms of how I wear it. I just put it on. I don't think about it. And maybe it's partly my skill as a knitter or just the things that I've chosen. I never feel... I never feel quite as comfortable. I always seem to be doing a little bit more adjusting and and finicking with the knit tops that I have made. 
This represents a little bit of a step in the direction I want to take with my making, which is just ease of wear and wearing my handmade garments just like everything I wear. With sewn garments, I've, I feel a little more comfortable, but with the knitwear, it's still a, a little bit of a challenge for me. So I'm hoping to refine my structure uh, in the next version of this Tsumutsukazi that I cast on, and I will definitely, even despite its mistakes with the... Uh, lack of alternating skeins, etc. Despite that, I will still be getting a lot of wear out of this top. Another pattern I've knit start to finish since the last episode is Egg to Turtle. This is a toy pattern by Susan B. Anderson. It's a free pattern available online. And I knit it because I will be going to a baby shower this afternoon and I wanted to have a little bit of just a, a handmade welcome into the world for this new person that will be arriving sometime later this summer I think and I made this egg to turtle and then I went to the bookstore and tried to find uh, a book that featured turtles and I found the Three Questions, it's a beautifully illustrated book. I think the author's name is Muth, and it features a very wise tortoise. So I thought that would be a good pairing, and I look forward to the couple's reaction to this gift. On Saturday of Memorial Day weekend, I attended a spin-in at a little park behind Hope's Favorite Things in Richmond, PA, and I was able to get started on plying a project I began long, long ago when I made about four ounces of handmade Rolex from a variety of different fibers. And those Rolex constituted my meditative spindling for a couple of months. And I had, speaking of turtles, I had a whole bunch of completed turtles that needed to be plied. So I took my wheel to the spin-in. I haven't taken my wheel to any of the spinning events at Hope's Favorite Things so far. But I took my wheel and I was able to do all of the plying of my hand-spun singles during the spin-in. And then I let that rest on the wheel before I wound it up into a skein. And I ended up with 354 yards of a relatively consistent two-ply. I think it's about a sport to decay weight. And I look forward to coming up with a project for that yarn. It's got a lot of barber pulling in it because there was quite a variety of different colors that I used in the Rolex. There's a little bit of sparkle. There's a little bit of texture. I put some snippets of silk and I don't know, it was really quite an experimental set of Rolex. So I was pleased with my yardage on that. My method for plying was that I just picked up each turtle and I pulled out the beginning end and the finished end and I just plied that turtle together until it was all gone, and then I attached the next one. So there is, I guess there are some color breaks in the finished skein, but really there's so much different color throughout, I don't think you would notice. It would be interesting to see how this uh, hand spun knits up. Finally, I finished a portion of a very long-term project. I was able to wash all of the Hog Island fleece. This is a fleece I purchased at Maryland Sheep and Wool and split with Emily of the Fibertown podcast. I have yet to weigh <laughs> this fiber. I assume I started with about two pounds since it was a four-pound fleece and we split it. 
I spent, I forget which day it was over the holiday weekend, but I just set up on the porch and I very carefully picked through the entire bag. I picked apart the ends with my hands, just fluffing and loosening, putting aside second cuts, putting aside the dirtiest bits, really trying to get as much debris and veg matter out of the this fleece as possible. And wow, by the time I had finished, the pile next to me was about three or four times the volume of what the fleece had been in the bag. I really fluffed it up. And then I started thinking about how I was going to wash all of this fiber. So far, my experience with washing fiber has been to deal with very small amounts of two ounces or less at a time. And this would be, I guess, nearing about a pound and a half when I think of the bits I took out plus the debris that came out because there was quite a bit. (laughs) And I wanted to come up with a method that would stay true to what I liked about what I've been doing in the past, but would be a little less painstaking and enable me to process this fiber more quickly. So I filled a very large uh, aluminum tub with cold water and I put all of that fleece in the cold water for an initial soak. I had been under the impression that it was really only hot water that removes a lot of dirt and debris from a fleece. Like the fleece needed to be in that hot water in order for the lanolin to start coming off and with it, the dirt. However, the water in that big bucket was very, it was like chocolate milk brown. So quite, I was very pleased that so much of the dirt released just in that soak. And I let that soak for a couple of hours. Then I took my lingerie bags because I use these mesh lingerie bags to process my fleece. And I took, I'm not sure of the amount, but I put a couple of dripping spoonfuls of this dirty fleece, this pre-soaked fleece into a lingerie bag, squeezed all of that water out completely And then there was a two-step process to getting it washed. The first was a wash. I had very, very, very hot water and a bit of unicorn scouring liquid. And I stirred that together so as not to create any bubbles. And I plunked the lingerie bag into that hot bath for about 20 minutes. Then I squeezed all of the water out and I plunked it into a clear water bath, No, nothing added, just super hot water, just as hot as the first soak. And I let that soak about another 20 minutes before squeezing it out and laying it on a bunch of screens and towels. I had a whole bunch of different things set up for this fleece to dry. And in the course of about two hours or so, I was able to take all of that fleece through this process. The final rinse was clear. There wasn't really much dirt coming out. In fact, it seemed that most of the dirt came out in that cold water soak. I was really surprised. I just had no idea that I could use this method to sort of speed up the process. I guess the least successful part of this fleece washing was the drying. It was a beautiful, sunny, breezy day on Sunday over Memorial Day weekend when I decided to wash this fleece. 
and I pressed as much of the moisture out as I possibly could in those bags. But then it rained for about three days straight, and I feel like the fleece just took on more moisture. It took forever for it to dry. Finally, though, it is dry, and I was able to put it all in one big box, and it awaits hand carding or perhaps drum carding. I would like to use a woolen preparation to spin this hog island because it's so short stapled. I feel like that's the best choice. I did a sample that way and I really like the way the yarn turned out. So I'll either be using a couple different long sessions to hand card or I will think about maybe borrowing a drum carter or something so that I could get it all done at once. A few final notes about this method of washing. I really liked that it was something I could do start to finish out of doors. Uh, we have a very delicate septic system at Yin Hu, so uh, I always discard any any water that I've used to wash fleece outside, it, our inside system really can't handle that kind of dirt or grease. And so with the unicorn soak, which I'm really, really pleased with this product, I bought a small container at the Ross Farm booth at Maryland Sheep and Wool because I've heard Amy recommend it so many times and I wanted to give it a try. It's biodegradable. So as I finished with the wash and the rinse, I let those buckets cool a little bit and filled new buckets with very hot water. Somehow I just discovered that in my basement, there's a hot water tap where the water comes out pretty screaming hot. Uh, nothing that I would want to use to wash dishes or something like that. I mean, it's really hot. And it kept me from having to boil water on the stove and mix it with cooler water as that's been my process for working on fleece in the past. So I was just going up and down because we have a partial basement and a trap door that opens uh, from our porch. I was just going up and down, filling buckets, then after the wash and the rinse, letting them cool a little bit. And I was able to take them to various parts of my garden after they had cooled enough and just dump them over the garden. And the plants really like this water. Doing all that caught me about 10,000 steps during the fleece washing process because I was just up and down and all around. So it was great exercise. It kept me very active and then I still have that giant tub of water where I did the initial cold soak. And I usually do some potted herbs and flowers just on the shady steps of Yin Hu. So I will be using that tub of water to water those new plants. And I'm sure they will be very appreciative of the mucky, filthy water. And that will be a good start for those plants. So once again, the two patterns I talked about at the beginning of this segment are the Tsumu Tsukazi, a knitted top designed by Michio, and Egg to Turtle, which is one of the topsy-turvy inside-out toys designed by Susan B. Anderson. Like I mentioned, it's a free pattern, but what I also discovered is it's a great way to incorporate handspun. Could be for the whole turtle. I used commercial yarn for the egg shell and for the body of this turtle so that it would be pretty durable because it takes quite a bit to turn those toys inside out and, and right side out. And so I wanted something that would be super sturdy and my hands bun is quite delicate in most cases, but I did use a hand spun for the shell of this turtle. It's kind of knit on top and it's not a structural bit. Um, and I was able to time the color changes of the hand spun so that it looks like this beautiful uh, painted turtle. It has some variation in the color as you move from the outer edge to the center. 
As always, uh, Susan B. Anderson's designs are just imminently clever and they come together quite well for a little toy. Uh, it is a bit fidgety. You need to be able to use double pointed needles, but everything in the pattern unfolds so that you always feel like, okay, I know what's happening. I know what the next step is going to be. And I feel like the Kitchener closer at the top of this turtle shell is just a really fabulous way to finish it off and lends a unique kind of texture to the shell. The front porch. After being incredibly inspired by some Fiber Friends weaving projects, I decided to put a new project on a Cricut loom. I've been watching Emily of Fiber Town's weaving projects and also Elisa, who is Mama to Eight on Ravelry and Instagram. She's just done some beautiful weaving and sewing with that weaving. And I've just been thinking, why don't I have a weaving project on one of my looms. So I set up my loom warp for a scarf. And this time I decided to do a little bit of color play. I'm not incredibly skilled at using my loom yet, but I've had this gift yarn from Sherry of Spinners End Farm. She sent some beautiful silky black alpaca yarn from her own animals in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And I've been wanting to do something with this yarn and I thought it would make the perfect yarn for a warp. It has wonderful drape to it and it would just, that black would really allow some of my hand spun yarns to pop. So, uh, I kind of have a tradition of underestimating how much time it will take for me to put a warp onto a loom. And so yet again, I was out on my porch in the dark, finishing this project with a headlamp, but I was able to successfully get the warp onto the loom and I used not only the black alpaca, but I also used some hand spun in two sections so that the finished scarf would have some vertical stripe to it. Uh, I don't think I made such a great choice with the hand spun that I chose because it has some silk noil in it and I'm having some trouble getting the shed to really open up. Almost every time I have to take my shuttle through and, and separate the top and bottom of my shed so that I can put my weft yarn through. So Probably that wasn't a good idea, but it looks really good. I just have to have a little more patience with the project. For my weft yarn, I'm using some spindle spun and wheel plied yarn that I made with hobbledehoy batlings in the Hello Sunshine colorway. It's a lot of oranges, pinks, and yellows with a little bit of blue and I'm always astounded how different yarn will look in a weaving project as compared to a knitted project. And this is no exception. It's really surprising me the way the colors are playing, interplaying with one another. The yarn, the hand spun yarn I used on the warp is in a very different sort of color, tone, and vibrancy, but it all seems to work together really well when it's put together in this weaving project. So I'm just working on this a little bit at a time and I'm using a very haphazard method of taking some of that hand spun uh, from the hobbledehoy batlings and just weaving a section and then choosing another color and weaving another section, really not thinking too much about timing or amount or patterning or anything like that. I'm just letting it unfold as it goes. And I'm hopeful that this project will use the majority of that hand spun. Perhaps later in the summer, I will put a warp. 
ever-expanding skill set. For Hashtag Power Pantry, we made tacos during the month of May, and I have been thinking all month about a dessert taco, kind of dreaming about it. The other thing is that a new ice cream place opened up just around the corner from our house, which is kind of deadly news for the summer because every time I drive by, I want to try some more ice cream. This place is called Llama Ice Cream and it opened up next to a Peruvian restaurant. I think it's the same proprietor or maybe the same family and they have a lot of flavors derived from South American fruits and produce. So I've been trying cherimoya and tamarind, passion fruit, um, lucuma, which is really, it's sort of a carrot orange colored ice cream. And the taste is a little bit starchy. It's a cross between a sweet potato and maple syrup but not very sweet. None of their ice creams are incredibly sweet, which is wonderful. I came home with a big container of coconut ice cream. It's rich and luscious, and I really wanted to figure out how to create a dessert taco with this. So I used corn tortillas. I toasted them, warmed them, toasted them in my cast iron skillet until they were pliable. And then when I felt that they were almost ready, I spread a whole bunch of dark chocolate chips on the top of the tortilla and let that melt. And then I smoothed it with a spatula to give the inside of the tortilla this chocolate coating. I had thought about using hazelnut spread for this process, but I didn't think that would work with the corn and the coconut, so I went for chocolate instead. Samuel created a little makeshift contraption for me with foil where I could put the tortilla shell with the chocolate in a folded shape and then put it in the freezer to cool. When it was cooled, I scooped this coconut ice cream into the center and then topped it with toasted coconut flakes and very finely chopped pecans. Then put them back into this contraption so that they could cool completely. Actually, we wrapped them in plastic wrap first because I was worried about these dessert tacos taking on any freezer flavored. After a couple of hours, they were firm and Delicious. It, I was really surprised. I didn't know what was going to happen with that corn tortilla shell when frozen. And it's kind of the way it's best to let something you take out of the freezer defrost just a little bit before eating it. Because if I immediately bit into that frozen taco shell, it was a little, uh, the texture was a little crumbly. But if I let it just rest in the plastic wrap for a few minutes before eating it, the ice cream was a little softer, but the taco shell was a little more palatable. But still, it was it was unique and interesting and fun to do. Uh, a really nice project for a dessert. And I would definitely do it again. The fish tacos still have not come to fruition, so I think I'm going to have to have taco remediation in June and somehow or another make time for fish tacos. But the word for June is blend. I think for the summer, I'm going to go for some verbs and see what I can do with my blender, food processor, maybe even just in broader terms, blending flavors. I'm not sure, but blend is the keyword for June. And as always, I look forward to chatting with you on the Ravelry thread for hashtag Power Pantry. Gratitude journal. Over the past couple of weeks, I've noticed a convergence of a few things 
all of which are important, but it's come to the point where the whole is really greater than the sum of its parts. And it's, I don't know, it's starting to really have a bigger impact because of these finer threads of things coming together at the same time. One is this notion of mindfulness. I've taken an online course through Mindful Schools called Mindfulness Fundamentals. I finished that course and signed up for another course called um, Mindful Educator Essentials. And I'll be engaging in that over the course of the summer. I like this online course because it was well-paced. There was great information. There were MP3 files to for practice to go along with some of the materials. And at the conclusion of the course, there was a PDF printout of all the course materials, which I took to Staples and had bound into a book. And now... In the time between one course finishing and another beginning, I'm just perusing that information over and over. But then some other things have been layering themselves in. For one, I'm reading this um, Mindfulness of Knitting book by Rachel Matthews that was a wonderful and very generous gift from listener Amy, who is Amos G.W., I'm very slowly reading this book and there's an interesting integration in parts of the book and the course materials that I've been reading. So that's, it's like wonderful enrichment of ideas. And then I have been listening to recent episodes of the Teaching Your Brain to Knit podcast I've liked it all along, but I feel like recent episodes are really speaking to some of this information about mindfulness and the effect of the fiber arts on your brain. Margaret and Catherine are just wonderful. They're so great at relaying information. They have an excellent pace. They make clear to document uh, and talk about resources for the things that they're saying. It's just been really wonderful, and it's been such an interesting convergence with the book and the course and this mindful spinning practice or meditative spinning practice that I've been working on for a couple of years now. Taking the mindful course has helped me articulate some of the benefits of what I'm trying to do with this practice. It's kind of the same with knitting. Like I know that it's very useful to me and that it helps calm me down and that it does good things for my spirits, for my emotions, for my brain. But having information about the brain and how it works helps me to really articulate and explain to other people what is happening and why this is important. And since I work in an educational setting, I'm always looking for ways to articulate what's happening behind the scenes and not just, this is fun or this will be cool to do or it's not hard, try it, but really what is happening with your brain and your body to make this a valuable experience. In terms of mindfulness practice, I'm able now to articulate that what I'm working toward is going from having a stimulus or some sort of a prompt and a reaction to having a response instead. And the essential ingredient that takes you from reaction to response is this pause, this mindful pause. I think that a mindful meditation practice can be one way to achieve this result. But I think that a meditative knitting or spinning practice can also be a means to achieving the same end, to just slow down that process from going to what triggers you to 
what your behavior is going to be. Is it going to be a reaction behavior where it's just your gut reaction? Or is it going to be a more calm, thoughtful, meaningful response? I want to have a response. (laughs) Um, My ancient brain will trigger a reaction when one is needed. But most of the time, I want to have a response instead. And so this week, over the past few weeks, I've been incredibly grateful to Amy, to Catherine and Margaret, to the folks at Mindful Schools who have thoughtfully put together educational materials for online coursework, and that all of this is, is converging at the same time to really help forward my practice has been an incredibly good thing.
gonna get you high, you better tell your face to smile. Jump in the river naked and hang your country mind and say, sweet nature, sweet nature thing. Mighty fine, mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing.